Dun, dun, dun. Ooh, let's go. Yep, we're talking about that today. It's very important what we're talking about today. That's an understatement. This is going to be a long queen deep dive. I fully anticipate this to exceed half an hour and approach the three quarters of an hour mark. Because today, we're talking about the single biggest hit the guys ever had in the United States. It was so big, it catapulted the album on which this song was on to number one for the first and only time in the United States. And this song brought new popularity to Queen all over the world. That is also an understatement. The guys were riding so incredibly high after this song debuted and was on fire. <laughs> it was huge, this number. And I don't think any of them, I don't think any of the boys thought this was going to happen. Not with this song, no. In fact, by all accounts, this song almost didn't make it on the album, The Game. Can you believe it? This is John Deacon's fabulous composition, a genius moment from our favorite bassist. And it's amazing to think that John hasn't written as much for the band, not by a long shot, but we get this brilliance from him. Of course, it's peppered with contributions, performances that are fantastic from each of the guys. But this is John Deacon's brainchild. Dive number 83, track number three on Queen's eighth album, The Game, released in 1980. This is all funk rock disco. Another one bites the dust. Yeah. Bite it. Bite it hard, babe. I'm just quoting Freddie. I'm, I'm serious. I'm quoting Freddie. That is literally something he improvised when he was singing the song at Montreal and probably other performances if I had to guess. And it's hilarious because the camera is on Roger when Freddie sings that. And you can see the elation, the humor, <laughs> the moment where his bandmate kind of goes, oh, yep, there he is. There's Fred. It's fabulous. Freddie performed this so remarkably well. All the guys are on fire here. And this song has an amazing history. How it started, how it's going, <laughs> if you will. This was a single, of course, Another One Bites the Dust, released August 22nd of 1980 in the UK and August 12th of 1980 in the US, and it hit, drum roll please, number seven in the UK. That might surprise you, but, but it was number one in Canada, Israel, Spain, and the US, of course. The longest running top 10 song in 1980 in the US at 15 weeks. It was a major hit in 17 countries total. So to say that this was massive again, an understatement. 
We are at a very perfectly comfortable 110 beats per minute, and this is actually a great CPR song, for tempo anyway. I would say when it comes to the messaging, no. Staying alive is a much better option. (laughs) I don't think anyone wants to sing this when they're doing CPR. It's just not a great message, but again, the tempo, it's ideal for that. We're in 4-4 time signature, common time. One key. E minor. Can you believe we are without the shifts in meter or key once again? And yet we have the biggest hit the guys ever had stateside. Old Westerns, mobster shootouts, gang violence. That is the inspiration for this tune. John himself has talked about it. It's interesting when I talk to people who know this song, and let's face it, pretty much everyone I've spoken to does, not a lot of people really pay attention to the lyrics. And apparently the lyrics are difficult to understand from what I've read. And I find that interesting because the sparse arrangement, the extremely minimal production here, to me, makes this a much easier song to grasp lyrically all around. But yes, many people don't even know what this song is about, or at least where the inspiration came from. But we're going to get into that in so much detail. You guys, I have so many facts and critique and analysis to go through with you for Another One Bites the Dust. This took me forever. I poured over publications, promotional material from way back when, quotes galore. There are too many to choose from. I get very disappointed sometimes when I'm going through a a queen deep dive and I can't find enough. I literally can't find enough to fill what I deem appropriately long for, you know, the length of my episode. But here there's so much to choose from. It's almost difficult to focus on just these pieces, but I chose what I thought was most relevant. So here we go. Sparse, minimal, almost no real chords in sight or sound rather. And it's funky. It's a totally new thing we've never heard from Queen before that takes Roger's disco-like fun it off of jazz, remember, to new danceable heights. John takes center stage with a riff that he probably didn't realize so many people would sing and hum for years to come. Even Freddie sounds different. Staccato, more calculated, aggressive, edgy, full of angst and anticipation. And by the time we get to the second verse, Freddie is in such a high, full chest voice. He is indeed screaming at us, and we love it. Brian makes brief but memorable appearances with guitar licks, power chords, growls that impress. Roger's drums are dry as ever, dry as a bone, no hint of boomy enthusiasm, save the occasional reverb-heavy phrase-closing blast. Very strategically done. Complex drum rolls and fills are largely absent, but it gives the spotlight to John and his bass, that catchy rhythm guitar, and Freddie's unending attitude. We've got clever manipulations of sounds, create these sweeping, swirling, dizzying effects. Hand claps make this all the more catchy. It's ominous, but it's addicting. Simple, but impressive. This song, it's truly a one-off that went off 
and blew up everywhere around the world. It was so incredible and encouraged the boys to dive even deeper into dance and disco. John Queen showcased their ability to take even the funkiest disco-tinged ideas to a swag-filled place that's still their kind of unique rock and roll. Still, even for all of its minimalism and the dance, the dance vibe we have going on here, this is still very much stamped with Queen's approach, I think. Yes, this is totally different. It is, it is something that has been previewed a little bit, as I mentioned, with Fun It. In fact, you could take the beat for Fun It and very much compare it alongside this one as a very similar approach. But not nearly as many people know about Fun It. So this feels like the big first thing we've ever had like this. And I would say that it is definitely amplified. The style the swagger here is amplified beyond anything we have heard before as far as this attitude we're getting here. Another One Bites the Dust was played 197 times live from 1980 through 86 and briefly in 2002. And the guys weren't initially sure how the audience would respond to this live, especially because it lacked the snap of the extremely dry drums on the record. But Freddie was particularly adamant about performing it, often. And thank goodness. So early on, Roger would sing lead in the chorus, but as the years passed, the audience would effectively take over the chorus entirely. This was often bopping along faster than the album. All the adrenaline rushing, when that drum beat would kick off, and even John kicking off in unison that low end tied up with Raj, they would be screaming out the gate much faster than 110 beats per minute, but it would often get reeled in as they'd play on. Freddie would enjoy a little call and response with the audience, and they were all over this. You had a lot of things like, bite the dust, and the audience, bite the dust, bite the dust. But you know, Freddie's signature move, John would deviate in interesting, impressive, and surprising ways from the basic riff, rolling in glissandos, bent notes. Brian would jam on guitar solos and rhythmic melodies, a really nice infusion into the live performances because we get very little of bombastic Brian on the record. Yes, signature moments of, as I said before, we've got some growls, we've got some interesting effects, but very, very little of his signature lyrical performance, but we get that more live. Such a treat. Later performances, like Live Magic, incorporated quite a bit of synthesized swells, but I wanna focus on Roger's drums. Obviously, they're incredibly different than the album. They're louder, bigger, heavier, boomier. His live drum sound was always pretty massive and heavy and big. The swirling effects on the album are achieved with his fantastic hi-hat work. And Freddie, of course, he has a ball. He sounds great almost every time. Almost every performance of this I've heard nails it. He knows when he can reach those high notes in full voice and when to fall to a lower harmony depending on the night. He gets so much energy out of the audience, so much improvising, and he's such a pro at it. Milton Keynes, 
I almost prefer this earlier live version. I love Raj singing with Freddie through the whole chorus. His voice is raspy and high and loud, and the sheer volume of this performance, not to mention Freddie's improvised vocals in the middle. So fun. And Montreal. Two words. Freddie's strut. Oh, and the short shorts. That version, the only one, I think, without a keyboardist, right? That was the last time they performed as a foursome, just the four of them live. That's why it's so special, Montreal. Awesome. We get some nice falsettos from Raj in the breakdown too. I love those moments where they're just jamming away, Freddie's strutting around, and we hear Raj in the background. (laughs) I remember hearing that for the first time. And because the camera's not on him, I was trying to figure out what that was. I was thinking, is there someone in the audience that's getting picked up on a mic? Because it was so subtle. But then in the background, out of focus on that last falsetto, I think you can actually see Raj at the mic as he's jamming away on that drum riff. And I thought, oh, of course it's Roger. Of course it's Raj. Fun facts about another one bites the dust. I have so many. I think this is the most I've ever had for a single queen deep dive. This was John's third single penned within Queen. His third and his ninth song overall. Can you believe it? Seriously, that is amazing. This is his third single and it busts out like it does. Amazing. Now, John was inspired by disco funk group Chic and their song Good Times when he came up with the bass riff. And actually, there is, for me, a memorable moment in which this song is played in the film The Wedding Singer when Robbie is being driven to the airport. You can hear this song playing in the background when he starts writing the words for his own song. A little fun fact there. In Buried in Beneath These Fun Facts for Another One Bites the Dust, in an interview with NME, Chic co-founder Bernard Edwards said, quote, that Queen record came about because that Queen bass player spent some time hanging out with us at our studio, unquote. And the thing is, in that same interview, Bernard goes on to say that Chic were actually criticized for copying Queen. But their song, Good Times, was actually out before (laughs) Another One Bites the Dust. So, unfortunately, Chic got a bad rap, at least for a time, because of that. But always, always remember, John was inspired by Good Times, not the other way around. It's very important. Credit where credit is due, right? Rogers Fun It from the previous jazz is the little-known forerunner to this fabulous funky song. I know I said that already, like twice, but it's important to note that because I want you to go back and listen to Fun It. I know a lot of you have heard Another One Bites the Dust, but I'll bet a lot of you haven't heard Fun It, unless you're totally into every song the guys ever did. Go back and listen to Fun It. And supposedly, this is an early example of Queen's looping sections, including drums, claps, guitar, to achieve the final product. This wasn't something they normally did in production. Not at all. Not at all. They would play everything through. They would play every section. But here, they actually recorded sections in chunks and repeated them, which made recording easier, of course. But production 
was still a whole process. John contributes not only his funky bass riff, but he plays keyboards, piano, and electric guitar, and perhaps all the hand claps, based on what I've read. There are no synths in this song. I'm going to say it again. There are no synthesizers in this song. The swirling, pulsing, low sweeping effects throughout were all accomplished by sampling sounds of piano, guitar, and drums played back at various speeds and in some cases put through an eventide harmonizer. Did you know that? On their first synth album, The Game, there are no synths in Another One Bites the Dust. Cool, huh? In a rare twist, only one queen, Freddie, contributes the backing vocals, as well as lead, of course. An interesting note, I think Genius has this marked incorrectly, saying Roger has the backing vocals, but unless Roger sounds exactly like Freddie, <laughs> that is an incorrect mark on that website. Take note. Now, when East Coast stations, especially at the time what were known as urban and R&B stations, began playing this song, some people who heard it thought it was a black singer on lead and a black band. But more and more stations picked up the track, increasing the song and the album's popularity almost overnight. Absolutely insane. This song's chorus, played backwards, allegedly forms the words, quote, it's fun to smoke marijuana, unquote. Or at least some activist groups claim that's the case. I've actually listened to this. Fun little fact, quirky little fact. I got obsessed with backmasking for a while. I was obsessed with it. I thought, oh my gosh, what is this really about? And I've listened to this sample played backwards. It's not... I mean, some people might think it is absolutely there. It's obvious. I don't think so. I've listened to enough stuff backwards that I can tell you it's really easy to pick out and think you're hearing words that you're not simply because the vowels are there and the phrasing might kind of be there. I don't hear it. But take a listen for yourself. I think this is actually on the Wikipedia page. If you want to go listen to this sample, play backwards. Check it out if you'd like. Now it was after bleh, <laughs> it was after a particular LA performance that backstage Michael Jackson who was enthusiastic about another one bites the dust along with his brothers told Freddie that Queen had to release this as a single had to release it I'll talk a little more about that in a little bit another one bites the dust wasn't initially considered to be a single and according to producer Mac, Reinhold Mack, the song barely made it onto the album. Remember when I said that before, when I introduced this Queen Deep Dive? Mac, the producer Mac was like, oh yeah, this almost didn't make the cut. Can you imagine? Wow. How different would the guy's success and track record would have been if they hadn't had this massive number one hit? Interesting to think about that. This song, the influence, immeasurable. This has been sampled, interpolated, covered, remixed by countless. Weird Al, The Glee Cast, Tomato Jam, Rapper's Rap Group, Daryl Story, Captain Jack, so many more. The song was used in a preliminary cut of Rocky Three, but was replaced by Survivor's Eye of the Tiger. 
This is used for CPR training because of its tempo of 110 beats per minute, which matches the recommended chest compression rate. Again, I think this isn't the best song lyrically for it, but if you're just going to hum and sing that riff, I suppose it's okay. The origin of the phrase. This is really interesting. The origin of the phrase, bite the dust, quote unquote, is a big topic of discussion, right? At least a variation of bite the dust has actually been around since the King James Bible was published in 1611. Listen to this, this verse here, quote, they that dwell in the wilderness shall bow before him and his enemies shall lick the dust, unquote. That's Psalms 72, nine. Now lick the dust is a variation of the phrase we know now. And it still contains the similar meaning of falling to the ground in defeat or death. Isn't that cool? I didn't know that. I didn't know that the, the reference to that phrase was all the way back there and in the Bible, no less. Very interesting. Okay, band critique, band comments. I have at least one from each of the boys for this song. I'm so happy. That doesn't, that, that rarely happens. But here we are with a word from every single one of these marvelous boys. Now, John's comments first, being the composer of the song, from April of 96, quote, I listened to a lot of soul music when I was in school, and I've always been interested in that sort of music. I'd been wanting to do a track like Another One Bites the Dust for a while, but originally all I had was the line and the bass riff. Gradually, I filled it in and the band added ideas. I could hear it as a song for dancing, but had no idea it would become as big as it did. The song got picked up off our album and some of the black radio stations in the US started playing it, which we've never had before, unquote. Now, I wanna talk about that a little bit. At the time that this song was picked up on these black radio stations. You had songs like Michael Jackson's Rock With You. You had other disco songs, very heavy disco dance tracks circulating on the airwaves. So you had these stations that were devoted to black disco, black R&B, et cetera. And those are the stations that started playing Another One Bites the Dust. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that, isn't that interesting that that's how this whole thing started? And then other stations started picking up this song and it just spread like wildfire. Super catchy, awesome number. Now, Brian said to Guitar World in 1993, quote, John Deacon being totally in his own world came up with this thing, which was nothing like what we were doing. We were going for the big drum sound, you know, quite pompous in our usual way. And Deaky says, no, I want this to be totally different. It's going to be a very tight drum sound. It was originally done to a drum loop. This was before the days of drum machines. Roger did a loop, kind of under protest because he didn't like the sound of the drums recorded that way. And then Deaky put this groove down. Immediately, Freddie became violently enthusiastic and said, this is big, this is important. I'm going to spend a lot of time on this, unquote. Roger, on Queen Absolute Narratives, talking about this song, spoke about the technique he used to achieve, that very drum sound, that very dry drum sound. 
He said, quote, I remember laying down the backing track with him and he really wanted the drums as dry as they could possibly be. So I just stuffed it all with blankets and made it as dead as I possibly could and very low tuned, unquote. Roger especially was not keen on the idea to release this as a single, reportedly saying in retrospect, quote, I was like, I don't know about that. How wrong I was. Unquote. Now, in Queen As It Began, wonderful book I love, Queen As It Began, Brian spoke about this song's live performances, which ultimately fueled its popularity. Quote, Another One Bites the Dust was never an easy song to pull off on stage. The drums didn't have the snap of the record, and some audiences found it very, not very rock and roll. But we persevered, feeling it was an important song. Freddie especially felt this. Unquote. And Brian talked the band's success on In the Studio with Redbeard, saying, quote, I always thought there was an instant where we were the biggest thing in the world. Another One Bites the Dust sort of clinched it because it suddenly crossed over to the black R&B market. Suddenly, instead of a million albums, we were selling three or four million albums. And at that time, that was about as much as anyone had ever done. Unquote. And of course, I have to include a comment from Freddie Mercury to round this out. Quote, credit for the song should go to Michael Jackson in many ways. John introduced this riff to us during rehearsal that we all immediately thought of disco, which was very popular at the time. We worked it out and once it was ready, played it for Michael. I knew we had a hit as he bobbed his head up and down. That's it. That's the gravy. Release it and it will top the charts, he said. So we did. And it did. <laughs> and it did. Another one bites the dust. Phew, got through those facts. Now on to critic sentiment. Ugh, you guys might be surprised with what I'm about to tell you. This might shock you. I don't know. Just brace yourselves. At the time, when this single was released in 1980, not a lot of critics liked this. Washington Post, in their review for the game, wrote, quote, The group seems to think that new wave means adding Oregon riffs and toning down the solos. Another one bites the dust, a pseudo-disco tune, would have been more engaging had they cut the middle section of solo drumming. Unquote. I would argue that that atmospheric section is crucial to the song's ambience. I'm just saying, you have that wonderful riff that just chugs along, perfectly struttable, walking riff, and those swells, and then we get the claps that build up, and then we get the claps, and just Freddie. It's a wonderful transition. I think that section is necessary. That's all I'm saying. Robin Smith of Record Mirror wrote, quote, what's all this then, eh? Bites the Dust merely comes over as a bit of disco rapping. Rapping with a W, by the way. Maybe the track isn't meant to be taken that seriously, but I'm not sure. Sorry, but this is the weak point of side one, plundering from a well-flogged idea. Unquote. Plundering from a well-flogged idea. Can you believe that? I wonder what he thought about that later. <laughs> After it went boom, Rolling Stone in their review for the game didn't even mention this track. Neither did Sounds 
In fact, most publications and critics completely omitted this song in their album reviews for the game. Seriously. But someone recognized its genius. In a 1980 Circus Magazine interview, the publication wrote, quote, Witness Another One Bites the Dust, sure to be the band's third single, Cold from the Album. Another one has crossover written all over it, and even New York's trendy R&B outlet, WBLS, the nation's highest-rated FM station, is programming it regularly. End quote. He saw it coming. He was like, ooh, this baby is just about ready to burst. And of course, do I even need to say anything about this song's enduring popularity? It's like Don't Stop Me Now, the song that just keeps getting bigger, I swear. This thing just keeps going. It's very, very funny that most publications didn't say a word about Another One Bites the Dust, but part of that, part of that is because this song was released because it got so big, right? It blew up and it was released as a single. The intrigue around it, the interest around it as the guys were putting this on the tour set list just grew and grew and grew. And the perfect evidence of that is Michael Jackson's comment with his brothers. This is fantastic. You need to release this, etc. And they never would have considered it otherwise. Highly unlikely. Thank goodness we had comments like that that had an ear. These people had an ear and said, Look, this has number one hit written all over it. Boom. I want to go through some accolades before I break down the track in detail. Another One Bites the Dust is credited as Queen's best-selling single with sales of over 7 million copies. That was in 2012. Now, equivalent album sales, including plays like streams, etc., around upwards of 20 million or more. It's the 21st most successful song of all time using that measurement. It's gone multi-platinum in several countries, including the US, ranked at number 34 on Billboard's all-time top songs, topped pop and disco charts, and nearly hit number one on the soul chart. It earned the band a Billboard Award for Top Crossover Single and nominations for a Grammy, Best Performance by a Group, and a Canadian Juno Award for Best Single. It stayed in the U.S. charts for 31 weeks, gave Elektra Records their first ever 3 million selling single, and hit it big in Guatemala, Argentina, Mexico, and Spain. This song took the guys into stratospheric success territory. And I don't think any of them would have bet on this number when they were making it in the studio because again, it nearly got cut. Almost didn't make it. What would we have done with ourselves if we'd never had this amazing song? The riff. Do I need to say anything else? John, we love you. Those dry drums, deadened, completely, and tuned super low to achieve that almost completely void of reverb drum snap. That guitar, an octave higher along the bass riff. 
that backwards warped piano that seeps in. Freddie, let's go. It creeps in. There's not a lot going on, but so much going on. Steve walks warily down the street with the brim pulled way down low. Still amazing to me, the number of comments I've seen, people who don't know the words to this or can't understand them. They can't catch them. They're not even aware of the machine guns targeted on this guy, Steve. That's how catchy the riff is. And what a hook. The verse winds up and out syncopated, spiraling with that fantastically altered sonic crescendo. Remember, there are no synths here. That syncopation, the anticipation it creates, especially the bass. Even Freddie's vocals are often on the offbeat, as if he simply can't wait for the downbeat to reel us in. Those hits on the drums starting on the offbeat, like a skip and a jump start, and that booming kick at the end. Da-da-da-da. The ambience, that's what makes it. Against that riff, we get subtle bursts of sound that keep our attention. And there it is. Another one bites the dust in unison with the riff. That unity is what strengthens the addictive quality of this song. You know how we tend to love singing along with instrumental hooks like Brian's solos? Well, this is that, only it's John on bass. Clap. Wait, what? Claps like this in a Queen song. Oh yeah. Freddie's touch on the end of Dusta. That little exhale. So much attitude. He's so smooth here. Another one bites the dust. Hey. But into the second verse, that swell of backwards warped piano again. How do you think I'm going to get along without you when you're gone? Another sassy exhale. And Freddie in full chest, voice so high, voice sharp as a razor, that rhythm guitar, it's got some attitude. B, fifth, and minor six chords. But Freddie singing and screaming an entire octave higher, that's the cherry. All the while, the drums just keep on rocking. A little dissonance, that heavy, brief, stomping growl from Brian on guitar taking out that verse, that bent note from a third to the tonic. Dang, that's hot. Freddie layers in octaves this time during the chorus, still giving all the loudness and edge to us. More claps, but it's more of the same. And somehow it's still just as enticing and juicy as its start. This song keeps us in it. And into the bridge, we sink manipulations of sound and swelling, swirling effects surrounding us, dizzying us, Freddie improvising for our, or maybe his enjoyment. That deep, dark swell against those claps. It's almost like a super low piano chord. Then that growl of guitar, it still sounds fantastic even now. This kind of effect is nothing new now, but to hear this, it still sounds fresh and vibrant. All of this does, the way each of these effects seamlessly transitions just enough to intrigue. Another one butts the dust. Hey, hey, the claps here. Cha-cha. Just Freddie and those hands. Another one butts the dust. One of my favorite moments. I love that. Riff, please. It comes back in. The swells, please. Ooh, shootout. Third verse, giving us more right when we want it. 
Out of the doorway, the bullets rip, repeated to the sound of the pizza. Yeah. This final chorus, Freddie's layering his high octaves now perfectly. Every element that's made this fly makes another appearance. The claps, the rhythm guitar, the dry drums, these the alien swells, the riff. And another fill from Raj that booms and echoes out. Simple as it should, like a bookend, a perfectly tight and solid and brilliantly executed piece of funk, rock, pop. Another one bites the dust. Hey, hey. Man, this song, you guys, it's a killer track, killer queen, if I may say so. And I would say, if you haven't heard it, go listen. The truth is, you got to go check out some live performances. I know everybody's heard a little bit of this song off the album version, but you got to go listen to a live cut. You got to go watch it. Watch Freddie work the audience as only he can. And really, John totally bopping on that bass in his world, Disco Deaky. And this phrase, this nickname for him has never been more appropriate than now with Another One Bites the Dust. He had a way of moving his feet, jiving and bopping. Only he did that in the band. Yeah, Freddie strutted. Freddie certainly danced and sometimes got on a tiptoe, a little bit of ballet thrown in there, of course, as only he could as well. But John had a way, a charming way, of simply being in that moment, being excellent, being perfect on his bass performance and giving us everything we need as a bassist. And as I said, all the guys have their moments here. They're not as loud. No, it's not as excessive, not as elaborate. You will find no elaborate stuff here. Nothing like Queen 2 or A Day at the Races, which I so love. But something about this, it's still very much Queen. But in a stripped down, swag-filled way that we haven't heard before. And honestly, we're really not going to get much beyond this. Yes, this song influenced the guys hugely on their next album. And we'll talk about that when I get to it. So it's not like this style is going anywhere, at least not in the short term. But I think this song's brilliance as a composition, the simplicity of it, the natural, this just feels like it came from a place that was completely effortless. You know what I mean? It feels like they just laid this down and it was simple as that. And maybe I'm entirely wrong. Maybe this took a little bit of work to get it where it is. And by all accounts, Freddie was so dedicated to making this happen, not just on the album, but live, that he pushed more than John probably did as John being the composer. So it's kind of interesting that you have Freddie being a huge fan of it from the beginning, Roger not sure about the dryness of the drums, but agreeing to do it, Brian only supplying a few licks and riffs and growls here and there, while John provided the rhythm guitar, the keyboards, the pianos, and that bass line. We always get more from the composer on the track. Roger is especially big on this, but John does it too. And here, this might be the greatest example of the composer adding his touch to nearly every instrument on the track. And what a wonderful addition to the game. What a wonderful single for the boys. What an unforgettable moment in the music world 
all around the world. This song hit a pulse. It it struck a chord with people, and it still does. One of my best friend's kids liked this song. This was a few years ago, but I remember her asking me, what's this song about? (laughs) Listen to the lyrics. Oh, yeah. Look it up. There is no question. Out of the doorway, the bullets to the sound of the beat. Yeah. We're talking about shootouts, people. Another one bites the dust. But that is another one bites the dust. Please, please, please go and enjoy this number. Listen to it again. Listen to it while you walk down the street and strut your stuff. And I'll be back next time. Keep yourselves alive. This was a great episode. I was so intimidated by it, but I'm glad we got through it together. Thanks for seeing me through. I'll be back next time with a number that takes us into more throwback territory a little bit. It's not quite as throwback as we're going to get in another track or two, but I've actually grown to really love the next song more than I initially did, and I'll talk about that in detail. You guys know me. But until then, kick it, enjoy. Enjoy this number and then some. It's fun talking about 1980s queens, so different than 1970s queens which I freely admit I'm all about 1970s queen, especially mid-70s queen, but this is a different kind of queen that I think is taking the sounds of the time and amplifying them and giving them to us in a way that only these four boys could. So we'll talk about more, you guys. Enjoy. Love your day. Get out there. Enjoy the sun. Enjoy the spring or the fall, depending on where you're listening from. I'm still psyched that so many of you are tuning in from all over the world. Very exciting. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time.